0: You're listening to another ambitious
1: entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now onto the show. Welcome
0: to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Stand out. Be heard. Influence. Want to influence real change with your message while become known as an authority in your field? Industry Thought Leader Podcast will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. And welcome to another episode of Industry Thought Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, known as the Podcasting Queen, and the show is brought to you by Podcasting with Purpose, helping you to stand out, be heard, become that influential voice in your industry with a podcast. Now, my guest today says people don't pay for content they pay for packaging. And joining me on today's show is Robin Farman-Farmian. And she is a professional speaker, she is an author and an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And she works on the cutting edge technology and building thought leadership for others. So I couldn't think of anyone better to come on the show to talk all about thought leadership today. Now specifically, Robin's going to share how thought leadership can be a tool to fight bias in the workplace, how thought leadership can help you advance your career whether you're working in business or for someone else, as well as some basic instructions on how to build a thought leader foundation for yourself, in order to help you drive your business and your career goals in 2020 and beyond. So, welcome to the show, Robin.
1: I am so excited to be here. When I found you online, I was just like, wait a second, this woman thinks just like I do. I love it.
0: Yes, yes. So one of the things that uh, you sent me, and I wanted to just to give people a heads up about this, you're talking about a lot of the points that you cover in your book called The Thought Leader Formula, Strategically Leverage Your Expertise to Drive Business and Career Goals. And one of the things that you talk about in your book, which I'm sure people are aware of and have heard others speak about, is this term, you know, the, the changing world of work. And here in Australia, and I'm sure in the US, and even in other countries too, they're talking about how in the future, many of the jobs that we now know exist won't exist in the future. And in actual fact, some of my colleagues who are futurists are saying, you know what, things are changing so quickly, we don't even want to start predicting anything because change happens so quickly. So when we're thinking about building reputation, building thought leadership, there are a lot of things that we now need to navigate to ensure that we do position ourselves. So tell us a little bit about what you're hearing and seeing around the world of work and and that it's changing.
1: Sure, so we're starting to see a lot of kind of low level and very high level tasks being outsourced to software. Right, Mm -hmm. so uh, there's there's a company called IDX that has clinical clinical approval with the FDA, which is here in the United States um, for being able to diagnose diabetic retinopathy without the presence of a physician. That's a really big deal because a a physician at that level is extremely highly paid. They're not replacing everything to do with that physician but just one task, but that's kind of a general kind of thing that we're seeing. So it's really about understanding what is going to be easily replaced, repetitive Mm -hmm. tasks and things like that, and what is going to be born. For instance, like the drone industry, it's brand new, right? It's, it's just a few years old and all of a sudden it's going to start exploding. I know in Australia, Google Wing had, did a prototype for about three years and where it was delivering just regular, regular consumer goods to people in the town.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, you know, when we think about the days gone by, and we, we say to children, you know, what do, I, what do you want to be when you grow up? Hopefully that conversation is changing. My children are all uh, in their adulthood now. But we don't even imagine what could yeah. happen as far as technology and other things which may not even have been created yet. So what yeah. would you say then? I mean, you're obviously in Silicon Valley. What are some of the, the, the triggers or the things that you... You keep an eye out for that. You would suggest, you know, in different industries. One of the things, and I'll, I'll share this. One of the reports that a colleague just recently shared, and she listened to Cisco. Just to start to share a little bit more about some of the the trends in service-based, like helpers. You know, uh, they will increase because here in Australia we've got an aging population. Now, technology is not really going to look after people where you have to help them. You know, um, just do normal day-to-day things. So what are some things people can start to look out for to kind of give them a bit of a determination? Well, this is an industry that is going to increase. What sort of resources? So
1: so absolutely anything that requires hands-on. If you can't imagine a robot being able to easily do it over the next five years, then that's a job that's not going to be going away. Things like nursing, Mm -hmm. that is huge because they have to do so much more than just, you know, data operation, right? And so anything that's hands on that a human being needs to use both their hands for, but also their creativity.
0: Yes, yes. Right?
1: Because AI is not
0: able to do that yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that in because, you know, sometimes we hear of people, they're talking about, well, you know, that industry is no longer and this has been disrupted here in Australia. There were, uh, you know, a lot of strikes when the taxi industry, who I uh, probably the same in the U.S. too, spent tens of thousands, if not more, to buy licenses for taxis and all yep. of a sudden Uber came to yeah. the forefront. And we hear of these, you know, examples in different industries as, as well. But one of the things that you've identified is really looking and asking yourself where can uh, you know AI um, not replace so that human touch and I think there are you know when we when we start to look at all of the things that are disappearing and we focus so much on that we forget to look and investigate well what are some areas that we can bring our real expertise our real you know the human factor around to be able to make that difference and start positioning ourselves so that we can't be replaceable even if you know technology starts to do that and that of course is where thought leads leadership comes in. So define for me, if you will, what does thought leadership mean to you?
1: So it's really just being known as an industry expert in your particular vertical By that industry, so your peers or your colleagues or other companies and competitors in that particular world.
0: Yes, yes. Um, I'm glad that you. I mean, that that's exactly how I think of thought leadership too. And it's interesting because you know you hear a lot of discussions going on, and uh, you know people were talking about you know personal branding, positioning, thought leadership. But really, if you've got a body of knowledge, and this is what um, you share in your book as well, if you've got a really solid body body of knowledge and experience hands-on experience that you can't really get from books uh, because you've been hands-on and so often we, we develop a level of awareness that only experience can offer, can provide and if we wrap that up we position it in such a way that it fulfills a need, it, it, it answers a problem, provides a real solution that people are looking for, then people will automatically start to look at you as someone who's leading the way, who's got some expertise Information and support that's going to help them solve the problem. So, you know, often I think, as as what you know, let's just call a thought leaders, they don't set out to be thought leaders, they're just doing what they love to do, and people start to label them. But I love the way that you've put this book together because there's some steps that you can take and do consistently that you can position yourself as someone who starts to be looked up to so let's dive in let's talk a little bit around um, building thought leadership first as a way to b- fight bias in the workplace and and I believe you've got a bit of a story around that too so perhaps share yeah. your story and then share how we can use thought leadership to overcome our bias in the workplace
1: so be- becoming a thought leader and a professional speaker for me the one of the main reasons I did that is because of the amount of bias I faced. I'm a petite female in Silicon Valley where the vast majority especially of upper management are men. And so I learned early on in my career, I was being sabotaged, sexually abused, regularly abused, emotionally, like everything that you could think of was going on. And it wasn't everyone. It was just, you know, a couple of men, but they can make your your life kind of miserable. So I realized you can't fight this directly. That Mm. just usually doesn't work. A lot of the time the woman gets hurt more and, and the man is more powerful. So I said, you know what, I'm going to change the game. I'm going to turn myself into a professional speaker and then they're not going to be able to touch me and it'll be a kind of a safety net. Let me tell you, the day my first book published, it was like flipping a light switch on the bias. Absolutely. Now, all of a sudden, I'm always, I've always got like a place at the table. I've not been sabotaged since then or pushed down or talked over and none of my work has been stolen from me, which is what used to happen a lot. So now I really want to make sure that other women or not just women. I mean, there's a lot of us that have faced bias or bullying or abuse in the workplace. I want to help other people overcome that.
0: Yes, I love that. I love that. So, you know, if you are experiencing bias, um, follow the steps that Robin is about to share. And uh, you'll certainly flip the switch in that as well. And of course, building that thought leadership now has really helped you advance your career. As you've said, you've now got a seat at the table. I'm sure you've had opportunities to share your knowledge on, on multiple stages, and that reputation really starts to follow you, and then people want to tap in into that knowledge. Let's dive into some of the how-to's. I love that, the how-to's, how to build your thought leader foundation for yourself in order to drive your business and career goals. Where should people start when it comes to building this foundation?
1: So first I say, okay, look at your overall goal and your business model, because you need to understand why you're doing that. Maybe you are an expert in say butterflies and and you just, that's like a huge passion area of yours and you could easily be a thought leader in that. But if your day job is being an engineer and that's where your revenue streams are coming in, we really need to build your thought leadership around that engineering part. And let me tell you why, is because nobody pays you necessarily to be a thought leader right? You're not going to get paid for a lot of articles. And, and some of us can get paid as speakers, professional speakers, but even then you're looking at it and it's like ebb and flow, right? You can't mm-hmm. guarantee that you're going to make 50 or a hundred or $200,000 a year um, doing something like that. So what is your day job? What is this actually driving? Mm-hmm. Right. And so once you figure that out and where your revenue streams are coming from, and uh, when I say your revenue streams, it could be your, just your full-time salary. Yes. Right. And so how is that going to help you? So, you know, once you've figured that out, the next step is to really come up with your fundamental truth. And that for me is your foundation of your thought leadership platform. Fundamental truth, meaning what do you believe that other people may not be aware of yet Mm -hmm. or don't believe themselves?
0: Yes, yes. Do you find that that is an area that many people struggle with? Because in my you know, conversations with people, that is going deep, isn't it? And I would imagine that if people haven't clearly clarified that yet, it impacts everything moving forward. The mm-hmm. message, self-confidence, yep. because if you're not clear, how can you clearly communicate that to others? What are some... Yeah things that people can start to consider or even start journaling around to help them define what that is for themselves?
1: Sure. So the way I kind of went about it is my first book and platform is called The Patient as CEO, and it's how technology empowers the healthcare consumer. And so the way I came up with that title is it came back down to my why and why I wrote that particular book. It's because I'm a chronic disease patient. And I had a total of 43 hospitalizations, six major surgeries, and three organs removed for a misdiagnosis. I took control of my healthcare team, um, fired my current one, and, and replaced it, and it saved my life. And wow. so for me, that's both my why and my fundamental truth. My fundamental truth being the patient is the CEO of the healthcare team. And I believe that, I walk that walk, I live that truth. And it's something that the majority of the world is not up on yet, right? Mm. When I go to Japan or Germany, their their mouths drop open because these countries, there's such a paternalistic healthcare system that when you go into the doctor, they kind of tell you what to do, and you say yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and then you go and do it. Um, and so, saying the patient is the CEO of the healthcare team is a massive change for most people.
0: Yeah, I love that. Um, it- also, if you think back to when you were determining that for yourself, I'd imagine that you were able to share your personal story because that's, you know, obviously what I often say, it's something you're passionate about, but something that pees you off because yep. both of those is really what you stand for, as you say, your, your fundamental truth. But you were also able to tie it to some aspect of your work. There has to be yep. a, a tie, doesn't there, so that people can see that it's a natural progression. Was that was that clear to you too? And and I'm asking you that because many people think, well, I'm passionate about this, this peeves me off. But then when we look at it, it's very hard to segue um, a direct kind of relevance to their role. Speak a little bit more about that if you would.
1: Sure. So it's always about working backwards. So we came up with that goal and your business model, where your revenue streams are, and then thinking about your why and your fundamental truth as it relates to that only because I say, I I say, keep that in mind, because most people have 40 different whys, right? Or they have like 20 different fundamental truths. So kind of, Kind of reverse engineering it to get yes, to that.
0: Yes, yes. And one of the things that I often do will mind map. I'll get it in front of me and plot out. As you say, start with the end of mind. I love that reverse engineer. And then do yep. a couple because the more you, and then let it sit. You know, so often I'll make out a plan. I'll let it sit, and in the morning I'll have fresh ideas. So it really is before you even put pen to paper and start printing your book, um, map it out. Map map out a number of different scenarios, and then of often the the clear pathway will present itself. I'm sure that that's what you did as well.
1: That, and don't be afraid to bring on help. So that's another big thing is that you're building a company. A thought leader, while, yes, it's a person and it's a brand, that brand is a company. Mm. And it's there as a tool to drive your business and your career, right? So starting to think about the fact that, okay, if you're a company You need to hire people sometimes. You might need to bring on a consultant coach or, you know, a speaker coach or somebody who can teach you something. It's really about getting yourself educated or outsourcing things that you aren't necessarily best at. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I coach people, but I know a lot of other coaches – who, you know, I'll get on the phone with someone and I will be able to tell them their fundamental truth and their why in five minutes flat. Yes, yes. Right, because I'm an expert at knowing you can how see to find it. that yeah. and I can see it. And so sometimes all it is, like for my book, um, the second book, The Thought Leader Formula, coming up with that subtitle was so hard. I, was, I went through like a list of 40 different subtitles. Mm-hmm. All I did finally was get on the phone with my friend Monica and within three minutes, we talked it through and came up with the perfect one. yeah
0: so often the case isn't it because we're stuck in our story we're stuck yeah. in the process and um, we can come up with something we think this this is it and we tell someone that we trust and they go mm, keep digging keep digging and it's often yep. just a, around the corner that's fabulous so you're creating this what would be the next step that you and obviously you're creating your idea having that clarity getting people aside you know alongside you to support you. you cannot do this on your own what would yep. be some more steps that we need to
1: consider So, think about mapping out the ecosystem. And when I say map out the ecosystem, I mean, you know, which conferences are the types of conferences you could potentially speak at regarding your particular content, right? And you look at those conferences and you make a list. In fact, I have a free spreadsheet that you can have, and um, that I've already kind of like started all that for you, Uh, templated it, meaning. And you map out those conferences and then you look who's speaking at those conferences because those are your peers, Uh those are your colleagues. Right. And so start to get a good handle on who they are and meeting them and then map out your particular customers. And I do that by taking people through an exercise of customer avatars. And people in marketing, you guys know what that is, but if you haven't studied marketing, then you may not have ever heard that. It's really coming up with all the attributes that you can of your perfect customer to drive that revenue stream, right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, your perfect customer may in fact just be your handful of bosses and your competitors, um, the the management level at your competitor companies, right? The people who might hire you. It could be, you know, um, customers for the actual company Or it could be things like you want to get on stage at conferences, and so that's your ideal customer, quote-unquote. And coming up with some attributes from them. What country or what part of the country do they live in? What language do they speak? What's their job, their sex, their marital status? Do they have kids? What education level? The more you know about your customer, Mm -hmm. the better you can tailor your message to them and that you can reach them.
0: Yes. Yes. So thinking about speaking because this is something that you said that you did, and you 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 ended up on a lot of stages that really uh, showcased you your expertise and helped you build that continue to build that thought leadership. But someone that listened um, to the point where you mentioned, okay, go and have a look at who else is speaking on various stages and start to network with them. I mean, a great place to start would be on LinkedIn, wouldn't it, or, or some of those yes. online profiles to find out more. Um, and so what. What did that look like for you as you started to recognize, well, these are some of the people that are also speaking on stages. They've got complimentary topics. What was the steps that you took to be able to reach and start building those relationships?
1: I would go where they are. I'd find out where they're speaking, and I would either attend that. And um, in fact, I'm doing that tomorrow. There's a person who I want to meet that works at HTC Vive, so yes. I'm working on some VR right now. And so he's speaking at a meetup, and I'm literally going there just to meet him. Yeah. Um, the other way is I will reach out to conferences, and this is a little bit further in your career, you can do this. I would say, hey, I'm a professional speaker, but I will comp my fee for you guys, um, um, because I like what you're doing and I would love to speak on stage. And if you can get your, yourself on stage and that almost always works for me, they yeah. always are like, wait, we're saving $10,000. Yes. Let's get her. They don't even end up looking at my videos probably. Yeah. Um, but I will meet people that way. And I, I've done that when I wanted to meet someone who worked at the FDA. hmm Cause I was working on a medical device and I've done that because I wanted to meet someone who worked at Humana, which is a big health insurer here in the United States. And we're talking, this is the sea levels and I'm meeting them because I get myself on stage, um, literally just to meet them.
0: Yes wow and the, the the consequence of that is that you're building a your thought leadership so I love right. that so so really it is is it's not just about um you know the positioning and everything but you're leveraging that to build thought leadership and relationships because one of the things and I've done a number of podcast um, interviews on behalf of Women Speakers Association in the US they're global too but one of the things that I've learned and I'd love you to speak to this too that the speaking circuit is a close-knit community And so you need to build these relationships with others and uh, really treat that network. As we know, your network is your net worth. But you found that to be true, too, to really leverage and nurture those relationships.
1: Yes. And uh, one of the big tricks I used early in my career was volunteering, This Mm -hmm. is huge. This is so huge. So um, conferences, the people who decide on what, who goes on stage typically are the event organizers. Yes. So if you go and you volunteer for one of the events and you become good friends with the event organizers, guess who they're going to call when they need another speaker next time. And you you build that relationship. But the bigger thing even is that I say either um, volunteer as the speaker manager because then you meet every single one of the speakers and you get their emails and you communicate with them back and forth, Mm -hmm. or work the registration table. It's the only position of a conference where you meet everybody who walks in the front door and you can take a photo of the attendee list so you can follow up on LinkedIn afterwards.
0: Yeah, fantastic
1: fantastic
0: yeah. so you know one of the things that we mentioned earlier on and and I know that this is um, so true when you're building your thought leadership it is foundation building and it is consistency and constancy over a long period of time so the strategy that you're now building out I mean you continue to do that because it works so well just give someone and I know this is like in you know, how long's a piece of string but this just does not happen overnight does it there has no. to be strategy and there has to be intentional building of that reaching out following up so over what period of time would you say from this is I'm setting my intention I'm clear on where I want to be now I want to speak on these stages and 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 be alongside these people and be seen that they are my peers how long did that take
1: for me it took about a year and a half Uh, before I was really taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. Like at the beginning, I got myself on some stages. I got some of my articles published. Um, In fact, I hired a PR firm at the very beginning, even though I hadn't been published yet, to get me published in high-end journals. Yes. Right? And so, um, and even with that background, it still took about a year and a half before I started seeing a lot of things pile in. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that um, it was, was writing my book. Yeah.
0: Yes. That right there,
1: because... Yeah. yeah. People, don't, people think it's much harder than it is. And so because most people are way too intimidated to write a book, it still has that huge cachet value.
0: Yes, Someone it does. says, oh,
1: she wrote a book. No one's going to read it. Like maybe they didn't read it, but they just say, oh, if she wrote a book, she must be brilliant.
0: Yeah. It's so true. But I love yep. the way that you've shared and you're, you're, you're really giving people a, a time frame because I think people give up too soon. You know they really do and um, you know when you are building the the connections and the level of expertise I mean every time you have a conversation with someone every time you speak and you hear feedback I think and you mentioned earlier and I want to just re-emphasize this it's knowing what is your audience your ideal client consumers what is the feedback that you're getting because if I look back say two or three years ago when I started talking more focusing on podcasting how I'm positioning and framing it now is quite different different because the audience has said this is what we're really struggling because I think sometimes when we are at that level of expertise we forget where our audience was you know then and we can assume or presume that they're aware of that and so you know the feedback that we receive continues to shape evolve and enhance uh what we're we're talking about okay so you've gotten on their lists and you're starting to be seen as those platform speakers you've got your book in and you're now getting them the messages out there what are some of the other steps around the consistency and getting that message out there that you did
1: so, um, well, let me give you some, some tics, tips and tricks though about the book, because I think that is probably one of the biggest things. So I tell people who are too worried about trying to write, say a 150 page book, and by the way, you don't want to write more than that. It's about 30,000 mm-hmm. words potentially nowadays uh, for a business book, which is not that long. Mine is a little bit too long on the thought leader formula, <laughs> a little bit outside of that. Um, but really think about maybe writing a 20 or 30 page PDF. Right. And I want to tell you a story about how I I coached a friend of mine into this, Monica, the same woman who helped me with um, with my subtitle. She was like an actual artist, you know, a painter artist, and she wanted to become known as an expert in blockchain. She got really into it. She educated herself. She knew everything. Then she's like, okay, well, how do I tell people I know everything? I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe you don't want to be a blockchain expert at blockchain conferences because then you're duking it out with a whole bunch of other people who are trying to do the same thing you are. Mm. Why don't you do blockchain 101? And you are the blockchain expert at all the other conferences that have zero other blockchain speakers. Yes. And so she sat down and took her eight days. That's it. Eight days to write. And she ended up writing about 80 pages, but her goal was only 40. And it was blockchain 101 because that's, I mean, any any of us can write the one on one of our own expertise and our own industry. So she sat down. She took my cover, switched out the photo for hers, switched out the words for for her words, uploaded to Amazon. All you need to do is format it correctly, mm-hmm. and it's a PDF. I mean, that's all you're doing. And bam! Within three months, she was asked to speak at MIT. Ah! Oh,
0: wow! Yeah. I, I think have chills when I say that. Amazing, and I love the way that you've you've shared and reinforced for her that often we look at an industry, and we say, "Well, there's so many people speaking up. There's no way that I can speak up against that level." But then, yep. what's a niche? in that level i mean now if i look at if i think of podcasting there's a lot of people that are now speaking to podcasting but for me i'm passionate about the service-based business owners the business owners who want to build that thought leadership that authority and ultimately generate income and clients from that which is a whole you know kind of industry that i've lived and breathed and done so i love the way you've reflected on that and so what are some things that you did to help your friend Monica to be able to recognise and identify where she could position her expertise? Just a couple of things for people to consider because this, again, can be hard to clarify, really getting into that, that niche, that honing down of that one area.
1: I would say if you're unsure of where to start, Start with the 101 and yeah. maybe it's very, very niche. Like maybe you're an expert on a uh, very specific type of artificial intelligence. Yes. Right. But like getting down to that 101 of that specific type of like machine learning or something. Yeah. And because if you can explain it to a 12 year old or you can explain it to your great grandmother or your grandmother, then you can get that point across to everyone who's outside the industry. Yeah. Right? I love that. And, And that will really help you.
0: Yeah. Something else that you said earlier, and I think that that can often give people an indication of where they can position themselves. Um, Are you able to take that expertise but then tie it to your story? You know, you said you you, you had about the medical industry and you really wanted to speak into that. So maybe someone has a personal story or a journey which opens them up to a demographic or an experience that a whole group of people are also struggling with and you can bring your expertise to that um, to that industry so what happened to Monica when she got that 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 opportunity to speak I'd imagine that that was just the snowball effect
1: it was just the beginning it's been not quite a year for her so this was last December she was writing it and she published it I think right in January and I mean she's been all over the world now speaking at conferences investors have come to her to give her millions of dollars to fund her startup Wow I mean, her life is so dramatically different. And all she did was just focus for eight days yeah. and make that decision, make that intention. She did it, got it uploaded, and bam. Yeah. And any of you guys, you're welcome to take my cover and design and just switch out the photo and switch out the words and get it done the way same, you know, the same way. So you don't even have to think about the design or anything like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, and that's important. Because the reason I have my face on both of my covers is because the odds are most people are not going to read your book. Mm-hmm. If you, you are lucky in today's world if 500 people read your book. Yeah. That's huge, right? Like thousands is almost, you know, maybe the top 15%. To get to 10,000, you're, you're looking at really the, the top single digits percent of authors out there. Mm. And so with that in mind, your most important part of your book is the cover. Yeah. And what are you selling? Are you selling the content inside of there or are you selling you?
0: Yeah. And as you say, say, the end in mind, the goal is to position your knowledge so that you get an invitation to speak. Now, what I love about what you've said is that not everyone's going to read your book. However, I'm sure the people who are, infinitely interested in what you have to say and that you the stages that you are speaking on are going to want to read your book and pass yep. your message on to others and recommend you and so i think the more that you're able to focus a niche and harness you know that expertise to that area that you really want to focus on they'll become your ambassadors for you which uh, which i love well we could yep. continue to speak for for yep. for the rest of the day and, and plot out but just in finalizing Um, what are some other things that people need to consider as they're building their thought leadership so now they're starting to speak on stages what would be the next step for them to to continue to do so that they can still continue to leverage off the momentum that they've been building
1: so start to think about even further on where do you want to take this Mm. right do you want to get a promotion do you want to change companies industries do you want to start a company Do you want to become a professional speaker where you're getting $10,000 or $20,000 for a keynote and being flown around the world, right? So set that intentional goal. Yes. Right. Because that's going to drive, now that you're already speaking, that's going to drive your next steps.
0: Mm, Yeah, so true. And I think often people are not um, getting to that level because they've never really set that intention, I think yes. we always need to have a goal or a vision and mission that is pulling us forward. It's driving us forward because, um, you know, we continue to build. And sometimes it's because we haven't even thought of that. You know, we haven't even set that that those expectations. And that's what you did really well. I love the way that you've really honed your message with your first book. You started to get that thought leadership and that presence as someone who, who knows their stuff. And then, you, of course, you were able to pivot Into the area that you really wanted, and I think when you build that level of thought leadership and the community of people who really see you as this trusted advisor, someone who knows what they're talking about, you can then again have you have to do it strategically. You can't all of a sudden say, "Well, one day I'm I'm now this and this." You have to. There's steps in between that. But of course, when you've got that audience and that reputation, you can do that um, for sure. Listen, I I would love to ask you one question. You know, hindsight is such a wonderful teacher. Looking back and knowing what you know now, would there be anything that you would do differently? Or would you say, look, you know what, everything I can see was mapped out sequentially. Would there be something different? I probably
1: would have started earlier. (laughs) Yes. And not been, I was scared. I mean, yeah. I have to tell you, I was a terrible writer at that point. I, I hadn't been practicing. You know, writing is an actual skill that you have to create, you have to actually practice to get good at. So I was scared of writing. I was, I had stage fright. I was like, wait, how is anyone going to take me seriously in healthcare? I had a BS in management. Like, yeah. I am a finance and, yeah. and business person, yeah. not a physician. And people in healthcare are typically like physicians, right? And uh, and I just sat down and I said, all right, you know what, I'm going to take a deep breath. I know I'm terrified. I know I'm not good at these things yet. I'm going to get good at them and yeah. I'm going to practice them and I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to set goals for myself. And that's how I kind of get past that.
0: Yes, brilliant. I love that. And how often um, is doubt, fear um, keeping us stuck? However, I'd imagine the lives that you have Im- impacted through sharing your first story and now of course you've got um, your second book it's the people that you've been able to impact and the lives that you've been able to transform through giving them you know hope and possibility that hang on a second i can do this as well and now that they're impacting lives too and and i guess that that's really what drives you forward and um continuing to do what what you do i love that how do people get in, in contact with you what's the best way robin
1: so, I am the only Robin Farman Farmian in the universe. Yes. And so, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, and my website is robinff.com. Yeah. It's so easy to find me. You Google me, and I'm there.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think there's nothing greater than to finish off the year 2019 um, and start off the new year 2020. We're thinking of the things that you've just shared because I think moving forward, one of the things that can never be replaced. Is the human factor in in many yeah. of the as you know in many of the aspects, and so often we hear even of roles going overseas, you know, maybe not even to um, robots or, or AI, but even you know people, different demographics, right. you know, globally. And I think we now are in a global workforce. So you yeah. know, you we need to really focus on what makes me so um, so crucial that there is no way that my level of knowledge and skills can be outsourced to, to someone else and I think we all need to consider what that is for us and often yes. it's it, it's your story your journey your character your approach which often we we neglect to really define and bring out with intention and um, that unique aspect of you is really what what is going to make you different from everybody else so thanks once again for coming on the show
1: thank you so much I w- it was so much fun talking to you <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Want to learn how to leverage your expertise, monetize your message, while become known as an authority in your field? Access our free Industry Thought Leader Podcast series to show you how at www.annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series. That's annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series.